KYW Original Podcasts. Hey, everybody. This is Flashpoint host Cherry Gregg. First, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Flashpoint podcast. Welcome to the Flashpoint family. Would you do me a favor? Would you log on to the Radio.com app, Apple Podcast app, or whatever podcast platform that you use and subscribe to Flashpoint? All you got to do is search Flashpoint KYW. Now let's get to it. We are walking you through the flames. This week, the focus is on recent reports of missing children and teens and child lowerings. An automobile will pull up beside them and ask them if they need a ride. How to be proactive. When your child goes missing... All the advice and the intelligence you have goes right the heck out the window. We lay out real-world tips. We have to start having very plain, blunt talks with our children. We dig in. Then at 7, he was starved and locked in a Fairmount basement by his drug-addicted mother. I'm a sign of hope that I, I made through any and everything. Dante Haley is all grown up. How he triumphed over his trauma. We'll be right back. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life donor program, Organ Donors Save Lives. Register today at DonorsOne.org. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm Cherry Gregg. The focus is missing persons. It's been more than two weeks since five-year-old Dulce Maria Alvarez disappeared from a park in Bridgeton, and her mother dialed 911. We moved her at the park, and people said that somebody, probably somebody took her. Police say someone likely lured her away from her mother, and she still has not been found. Then over in Delaware County, five different child-luring incidents have been reported in recent days, not to mention the nearly dozen children reported missing in the region every week. So what do you do if it happens to you? With me in the studio to discuss this flashpoint is Ed Iannucci. He's owner of Kim's Karate, and he runs a program called Safe and Sound. We also have Mike Chitwood. He's superintendent of the Upper Darby Police Department. And finally, on the phone, we have CIA detective Eileen Law. She's president-elect of the Pennsylvania Association of Licensed Investigators. Everybody, welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. So we've had child lurings, missing teens, Attempted kidnappings of women on the streets. It seems like this is happening more and more now. Are we easier targets? And Ed, I want to start with you. There's no way of saying that. All I could say is how you carry yourself. It either sends out a don't mess with me vibe or I'm aware of my surroundings vibe. Biggest problem is a lot of people are buried in the phones mm-hmm. as they're walking up the street. People just seem to be a little too distractive to keep their surroundings in their peripheral vision. A lot of these attacks happen so spontaneously, nobody really has that warning. But maybe if they put down the phones, kept their eyes on their surroundings, kept their back straight, kept their head up, and uh, kept their head on a swivel, there's a good possibility that they could see a threat coming. Eileen, do you want to comment here? Are there things that we should be doing? Absolutely. And Ed is right on point, of course. Uh, One of the things that, that predators look for in particular is someone who seems to be distressed. And who isn't in this everyday life? But um, I can tell you, if if people Google the name Alan E. Brown, I was involved in that case. He's called the Prince of Prostitutes. And he would lure uh, children from the age of 8 to women up to 55 years of age. And he had, uh, he was in Philadelphia, Atlantic City, New York, and he would 
prey on people who were at bus stops, in particular train stations, uh, malls, and he would listen for them to be on their phones. And if a young girl was crying or having an argument with a parent or a boyfriend, he would go over and say things like, you seem like you need to have a Big Mac, something that would catch them off guard and laugh. And he would use chloroform and literally knock them out. He had an an entire family of 80 relatives working with and for him, and then they would be used um, for many different things. But, But the bottom line is, you need to be aware of your your surroundings. Yeah. And my gosh, look at everyone today. You walk down the street in a busy street, you're knocked into all the time because people are on their, on their phones. phones. On their phones. And we've heard in, in your district, Mike, that there there were multiple lurings. What is it? First of all, what is that? And how should you handle it? Well, I, th- I think the first thing you have to remember is just in Upper Darby, which is a community of about 100,000 people, we have about 200 to 250 missing children reports a year. Luring uh, seems to be occurring at the, at, the, at the grade schools, young children, mm-hmm. six years old, seven years old. And basically, they'll be walking down the street and some operator of an automobile, usually it's an automobile, We'll pull up beside them and ask them if they need a ride. Do you want to go with me? Can you, you know, whatever. Yeah. And uh, we have to be very, very cautious when we have these types of issues and how we notify the public. You know, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that the public needs to know what's going on because they are our eyes and ears of what we do and, and see. Uh, but at the same time, it creates... Havoc. So you have to really, really be careful when you put out information regarding the luring of children. I mean, we're lucky in that kidnapping mm-hmm. is not a problem. It's not a commonality. And, you know, I've been there for 14 years as superintendent, and I don't think that we've had a child kidnapped. Yeah. We've had a lot of these luring complaints. Some are, some are founded. Some are not founded. Yeah. And we have to be very, very careful how we handle them and, you know, what what's involved in it because it creates a, a people uh, get nervous people get nervous and, it could, and they can have panic um when you're talking about kids because i know you go into schools ed do we tell kids to look out for strangers who should they be on the lookout for anyone who approaches them that they don't know i mean 80 percent of the children that are being lured and abducted are ages 12 and up yeah 12 and up you can talk to children like that plainly there's a general parental apathy going on and i know i just took a risk saying that parents are distracted not just on their phones they're distracted from being parents and we have to get back to the birds and the bees talk with our kids not so much the birds and the bees but bad people good people if you're a child you don't just engage in conversation with somebody because they said oh my child has a book bag like that or hey um do you like puppies we have to start having very, very plain and blunt talks with our children. We get a lot of notices as media about missing children. We don't always jump on it because a lot of times in mass majority of these cases, the kids come back or they're found. When is it time to contact the authorities? Cherry, I've been specializing in finding kidnapped children and missing persons for 36 years now. And I can tell you, when I started that many years ago... There were approximately 
1,800 children reported missing every day. Mm-hmm. Now it's way over that. There are over 800,000 children reported missing in the U.S. each year, and that's not even, obviously, other countries. Uh, people don't understand it. Medical examiners across the country, they hold more than 40,000 sets of unidentified remains. If, if parents, as Ed had said, if parents would go back to being parents and not being so concerned about being their child's friends, look at what they're looking at on social media. Some of these things, for example, on Facebook, where you'll see age progression tests, or if I was a song, what song title would I be? Stay away from that because people, the bad guys are behind that. The the Snapchats and all of the social media, 90% of the cases I've had are not children at all. They're adults luring children and adults into this and and have their way with them, and then they go missing. Superintendent Chipwood, when do you call police? What are the steps? I can give you an answer from a police perspective. We need to be notified right away. We respond immediately. And we have a protocol. We have what the investigators should do when, when filing an endangered or missing person report. Go back to the home, search the entire property, establish a time and place, conduct neighborhood surveys, the whole, the whole gamut. Who's got video? Because everybody's got a camera this day, in this day and age. Then we got to find out about the child. Why is the child run away or why is the child missing? Was the child abducted? Was the child lured into a car? Was the child... A runaway, and then we have the different steps to take at that. We look at the psychological profile, we look at the sexual exploitation, we look at the family issues. So we have a protocol in place for every one of these particular cases. Now, the first response that we get is we got to, we want to find that child as soon as we can, mm-hmm. or we want to put out a police alert, or we want to put out an Amber Alert, or we want to put out whatever. Whatever we need to do, there is a protocol in place, and most most every police agency can put that out and has access to the different types of social media and or yeah. media outlets themselves that uh, uh, yeah. that can be exploited. And so you, the, the key is to do it as quickly Quick, as quickly as possible. Is there things you tell kids if this does happen to you, this is what you should do or young people should know? Are there things you should be telling your kids? Absolutely. Fight, scream, kick, bite. Fight, scream, kick, bite. You can't yell things like fire or no, no, no. You have to be descript and you have to tell everybody what is happening to you. He's trying to take me. Help. I don't know him. Somebody please help me. You know, with these kids in the most part being 12 and up, some of these kids are big. Okay, they, We're growing some big kids nowadays. They have to learn how to fight, not just boxing or anything like that. They have to be specific in breakaways, anchoring to a sedentary object, um, using a pen or a pencil, poke this guy in the eye. I mean, do something. You have to fight because once you get in that car, that's it. There has to be a mechanism here where we have to teach our kids how to fight away, how to stay in groups, stay off the phone, look for cars pulling up. Look for strange adults hanging out where kids normally would be. I mean, there's a whole listing, a whole, there's a Bible full yeah. of, of ways to get out of this. It just seems like every time you see something happening, people are just being snatched and taken. 
And like the detective says, if they're coming up with chloroform, you better react quickly. Yeah. So you have to know how to do these things. You just can't expect society to acclimate around you. If you're a parent or a loved one, are there things you can do to help police or help investigators gather information? Or are there things you need to be able to provide to the authorities once you call them? Carrie, I would encourage every parent and person, parent or not, to read the book called The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker. <clears throat> He's a former FBI agent who did this. What people don't understand is when you're, whether you're on the phone or you have headsets on while jogging or whatever, you are disengaging a God-given instinct. And, and the people, if you read that book, the people who survived rapes and whatever uh, will say that they specifically had feelings about, um, you know, something that was untoward and they couldn't put their finger on it. Turn around and look and stare people in the eye. But there are things that parents can do, too. First of all, have dental records of your child. And mm. I, I would upload them in your computer so that if you needed to send them off quickly to a police department or, God forbid, a medical examiner's office, you would have it handy. Keep current pictures of them. And, and moreover, write down what they are wearing every single day. Be aware when you're in parks. Even uh, I, I've done investigations at Great Adventure where uh, a mother went to um, pay for a hot dog for herself and her, her child, a four-year-old child, let go of the child's hand. And that quickly, while she was paying, the child went missing. These people take them into restrooms, cut their hair, spray their hair a different color, and use the chloroform or whatever. And when they walk out of the park, it's as if the child was sleeping and exhausted. So they're, they're more clever today than they ever were. So you have to be vigilant. And, and again, the, the bottom line is stop trying to be your, your child's friend, be a parent and lay down some rules and demand things like passwords if they're teenagers or whatever. Look at what they're looking at. And, and the biggest thing is if you see something, say something. We've heard that over and mm. over again. Yep. It's so important. I, yeah. I, I agree with that 100%. See something, say something. That's the key. Yeah. That's the key, and that's that's what we do. And then, of course, our greatest outlet, our greatest resource is the media. Yeah. Because the media gets it out there right away. Uh, do false reports or over-reporting, does that hurt the, the this at all? I, you know your what? parents just say, don't even worry about that? I'm a firm believer of error on the side of caution, especially when it comes yeah. to children. If yeah. there if there's some predator, some animal out there that wants to steal our kids or take our kids or abuse our kids, then so what? Error on the side of caution because the parent, as everybody has said here, the parent needs to be the parent. The parent is the one that's going to help us from a first first responder uh, perspective to hopefully apprehend these individuals that are responsible for trying to lure our, lure our children or taking our children. Yeah, Terry, the other recommendation I have, which seems odd perhaps, is that when you have children, especially young children who tend to run off, keep a dirty T-shirt or a dirty article of clothing with their scent yeah. in like a Ziploc or some other kind of bag. Now that probably sounds morbid, but if if there are bloodhounds brought in, that will be most helpful, especially when it's 
ripe, if you will, or or a, a fresh shirt. Wow. Are there mistakes um, that peop- that parents make when they yeah. contact police? What are some of the mistakes? Well, they panic. Yes. They don't have these records. My wife literally kept my children's teeth. Literally, when they lost their teeth, she kept them in pill bottles. When our kids asked, <laughs> why are our teeth in pill bottles? She literally said, if God forbid anyone needed to identify, if God forbid anything happened to you, we literally have your teeth, not just your dental records. Here's another thing parents should stop doing. See, I'm all about as much prevention as possible. Stop announcing on social media that you're out on date night, no kids, blessed, hashtag blessed. Uh, We're out on a date. We're away for the week. Um, No kids. Hallelujah. Stop. Stop letting people know that your kids are at home, either alone, if they're of age, of course, or with a teenage uh, uh, babysitter or nanny. We are letting the world know what we're doing on a minute-by-minute basis, Mm -hmm. and these predators are watching us. People are always watching who they're going to victimize. So if you act as if, you take a vigilant look around, okay? Posture yourself the right way. Stay off your phone when you're walking to your car at night. Maybe hit that panic button. Let that alarm go off just in case somebody's watching. I'm not saying be obnoxious, but you have to portray an air of confidence. Yeah. Confidence is the ultimate deterrent. Yeah. And is there a thing? I mean, because people, are there red flags? Because I feel like sometimes, especially with teenagers, you know, you you don't want to panic too soon. You're hoping your kid comes home. They're a little bit late for curfew. Is there a moment when the, the, the switch should flip? Your instincts should be flipping here. My, my personal belief mm-hmm. is that if you as a parent feel something's wrong, act immediately. Don't wait. Don't wait. I mean, and again, that's from a first responder mm-hmm. uh, perspective. Don't wait. Contact the local police immediately. Yeah. I tell people all the time, it, it's, first of all, when you're walking down a street, be Walk like you're Miss America if you're a female, mm-hmm. like you've just won the title and you're walking down that runway with with um, purpose. And and bottom line is be proactive. If parents and people in general were proactive, like Ed's uh, wife with the children's teeth, you won't have to be reactive. And and you know that you you never know what that feeling is unless and until you're in it. And a lot of very intelligent parents will, you know, say, well, I've got this all together. I can do this. But when your child goes missing, all the advice and the intelligence you have goes right the heck out the window. You heard the case, five-year-old from New Jersey uh, was, was taken. It's been a couple weeks. Um, and, and I mean, what, I mean, how long, I mean, I, if it goes a certain amount of time, you know, we all think, oh, my God, like, are they going to come back? Because you rarely hear, is there a certain key period of time that is the most important? Well, I think from a police perspective, uh, in this day and age, you don't know. I mean, you, you, you'd you like to solve the case, uh, they say, 24, 48 hours. But obviously, with a child that's missing for two weeks, you're hoping and praying that you're going to recover that child alive and well. But it could take years. Yeah. It could take months. It could take, you know, next week. Who knows? I mean, who knows all the facts? But it's a big question mark. And look at the some of the cases, like, for instance, in Ohio with the 
three or five young girls, I forget how many right yes. now, my mm-hmm. mind mm-hmm. is going a million ways mm-hmm. thinking of these things, but they they were found years, and it was as a result of people, again, see something, say something, they thought something was off, and, and luckily one of the girls was able <clears throat> to escape, but you know, there are also teenagers that go off on their own volition. We had one recently in Lancaster County um, where she went missing, uh, and um, she was gone for many years, and, and that was, again, on her own volition. She mm. came back because she got she was in Florida and got tired of Florida. So you never... T- it, there are no more rules as far as, you know, the first 48 hours are the most critical. The first minutes are most critical. So you just want to to get the word out there, certainly call the police first, and, and stay home. So many people will go out driving on their own, keep the lines of communication open so that police and, and friends can contact you if there's a sighting. After calling the police, designate a family member or a neighbor to make other calls on your behalf so you can be there if your loved one calls you. And I have to go back to a case that I covered tangentially with the five-year-old who was taken from her school. The person who picked her up had on a Muslim woman's uh, dress and the little girl was taken. She was found um, sometime later, had been traumatized and abused. But how do we, do we talk to our kids, Ed, and tell them certain things? Because they may be thinking they're going with somebody who's, who's approved. Well, the password is huge. I mean, as soon as somebody that the child is not familiar with comes up and they ask, what's the password? We we have to remember that child predators are looking for an easy target, somebody you could just pick up and run with or snatch and run with. When you add any level of difficulty, that's not what they want, okay? They want it to be easy and quick. You start adding levels of difficulty, like get away from what's the password, and it can't be a password like cotton candy. It's got to be something that is completely, completely out of bounds to a child's yeah. um, um, vocabulary. You can't say pickles or ice cream. Okay, it's got to be something really, really out of bounds. I teach the kids, even my regular karate students. We teach these young kids, "What's your phone number?" I don't know. Where do you live over there? I mean, these kids are being—I don't want to say robbed. They're just not being told. You know, we remembered our phone numbers when we were kids. As we get ready to wrap this up, bystanders. Is there something that we, if it's not our kid, but should we be looking for something? uh, And so so that if something looks awry, we report it. I think one of the easiest things, if you see something, say something. It's so simple. If you see something, say something. Err on the side of caution and say, look, I just witnessed something that I think is odd, but, you know, who am I? Would you look into it? And and let, so that's off your shoulder, and the, the police can determine whether or not it's it's a concern yeah. or, or not. But at least you have done your part as a citizen saying, I, I just witnessed something. I don't, it just seemed off. I don't like it. Uh, maybe I'm, you know, overthinking it, but here it is. I agree 100%. An ounce, an ounce of awareness prevents a lifetime of anguish. Yeah. And because this is Flashpoint, we do need to wrap this up. I want to end with resources. Um, where can parents go, love people go to just educate themselves on how to get a plan in place for dealing 
with a missing loved one. I am holding an abduction prevention and awareness uh, seminar. It's Kim's Karate. 1111 Ivy Hill Road in Mount Airy, October 19th. It's a Saturday at 1 p.m. Thank you. I think the, the most important thing is to educate your children as a parent. Don't talk to strangers. Don't accept gifts. Don't accept a ride. It's not rocket science, but you got to be a parent to make sure that that child understands what the dangers are out there. If you went on to the site like NamUs or uh, something like that where there are pictures of children who are missing and deceased and and frankly maybe putting the fear of god into them like you know this could happen to you if you don't pay attention and i know there's a fine line between you know scaring children and making them aware but again i would rather have the fear of god in them than than what could happen Look on Megan's Law at least once a month because there's always a new predator popping up on that page. Well, I want to say thank you to Ed Iannucci. Thank you to Superintendent Mike Chitwood. And thank you to Eileen Law for coming on Flashpoint and talking about this important issue in the news. My pleasure. Next up, his five-year-old sister died in his arms, starved by the drug-addicted mother. Eight years old, testifying. I don't know what's, what's going on. Dante Haley is all grown up. He shares his story of triumph over trauma. We'll be right back. Hey guys, listen up. When you're done with the show, would you do me a favor? Please provide a review and rate this podcast. And feel free to provide feedback often. We need reviews to push us to the top. Now back to the show. Thanks all. This is Flashpoint, where we talk about the issues that get everyone hot and bothered. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. And one thing that gets folks in our region hot under the collar is child abuse. Recently, one man made headlines. Dante Haley was just seven when he was locked in a dark basement and starved by his drug-addicted mother. His five-year-old sister, Charnay, died under those conditions, and his mother was convicted and sentenced to decades behind bars. Well, now, Dante, he's adopted by a nice family, and he's all grown up. And he's here to share his story. Welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you for having me. So, first of all, how are you doing? I'm doing good. It's been a very eventful day. Yeah. Got your new place? Yes, yes. Was that a big accomplishment for you? Yes, because the age I'm at and what I've been through in the last 18 months, what I've been through in the last year, couple years of my life, it's just, this is a big step. Like, I'm on my own now. I moved from a rumor house to an apartment. So good. I heard about you because you were the subject of a recent article in the Daily News uh, talking about how you grew up right yeah. here in Fairmount. What went through your mind when you read that column? And I mean, her original column about a mural. I really didn't care about it because I know what we lived through and the mural wasn't really nothing too big for me. It wasn't like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm glad. It was just like, well, that's what's up. We're up there. We're being talked about. I'm happy. But being as though we keep being talked about after a certain amount of years, I'm like, it's time for me to it's time for me to say something there. Like I know people are wondering if I'm still alive, if I'm in jail, what's going on with him. So Cause you reached out to me, you wanted to share your story. Tell me why you you felt it was important. I feel like, you know, people that's going through similar things I'm going through, not just an abusive situation, but life period. Like just don't know how to make it through. Like, man, I'm not gonna make it through and I'm a sign of hope that I, I made it through any and everything. It's been 22 years since you lived in that house. Do you think about it every day? I mean, I think about the situation, but not about the actual house. I mean, but when I was there for the interview, it was just like, it brought back a lot of memories. Like, like wow, like I used to really be looking out or try to look out that window in the basement. Or I used to always hear ice cream trucks rolling past or hear 
noises that I didn't know what, what it was. I've never been outside before. So I didn't know what was going on outside. I just knew that people was outside having fun, and I wanted to be there. And so you and your sister, you were locked in a basement. Yes. Like all day, every day? Pretty much, yes. And so what was life like? What I was tell people, I don't know. I never knew what life was when I was down there. I, I, I didn't know what right was from. I didn't know right from wrong. I didn't know what happiness was. I didn't know why people cry, why we laugh. I didn't know nothing. So from all I know, I was down there because it was probably the right thing for them to do. But as I got older and once I got adopted, I realized what my mom was doing wasn't right. That was wrong. I'm saying so. Yeah. You know, we didn't eat at all almost. Like, just being locked down there. Yeah. And you lost your sister in this. Yes. She died in my arms in her sleep. And her name is Charnay. And you have a tattooed on your arm. Yes. Do you think about her every day? Of course. Mm -hmm. I think that's the the gas that keep me running. I know for a fact she want me to be where I'm at right now. I'm saying nothing more, nothing less. Right where I'm at, I'm saying. And my sisters, too, that's alive. I know they... I don't really express how they feel about me, but I know in their heart that they want me to be where I'm at right now. And so you go from that. You were seven years old. Mm-hmm. And how old are you now? 29. 29. So 22 years between that abuse and where you are today. How has it been for you? you I mean, you had a lot of good luck happen after that. It goes from that tragedy to being adopted by a wonderful family, my mom and dad. From there, having a good, from seven until 16, good childhood but then I went to the streets I mean it wasn't because my mom and dad or just the lifestyle I seen like that I want to be like that I want to be like that rapper or that person but it also helped me forgive my mom because by me selling the drugs and by me being in the streets it helped me realize helped me go through what's going on at that time like wow this drug will make her will make her do this and I seen I seen it I had the drug and it made this female do this or this male do this so I, I kind of I didn't understand why she was doing what she was doing, going through what she was going through, and help me forgive her. And I'm glad I went to the streets. Like, I'm happy. Like, I took that route because it made me really open my eyes to life. I think if I would have stayed, uh, lived in Shelham and just stayed there, I think I never would have got to experience that side of life. And I did, and helped me understand life more now. So it helped you, like, empathize with your mom? It helped me understand, like, dang, this drug would make her do this to us. And what was your mom on? Uh, crack cocaine. So your mother was an an, an addict, mm-hmm. uh, and she had a number of children. Cause you were you and Charnay were just her youngest children. I wasn't. I was. I'm like the middle, and Charnay was right under me. So I had one one youngest. And that, and what happened to them? My, all my sisters are healthy and living well. I'm saying my nieces, nephews, everybody's doing wonderful. Everybody's doing good, despite mm-hmm. all of this. Everybody's doing great. Yes. And your mom. Well, you know, I haven't talked to my mom since 98, 99, at court, eight years old, testifying, don't know what's what's going on. I see her crying. I see her telling me, no, no, don't do it, don't say it. I'm saying, but 2013, when I was incarcerated, I had wrote her a letter, and that wrote me back. And it wasn't a letter, like, of a hate letter or I wish you were dead letter. It was just a, you know, I forgive you, whatever that you did to us. I mean, everybody's doing fine. Everybody's healthy. At that time, my sister was just pregnant with my oldest niece, and I was hoping to get a response back. Never got one. You lived through incarceration yourself. Mm-hmm. 
and um, you did that time. You paid your debt to society. What's the difference between the young man who was who 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 did time behind bars and the young man sitting in front of me right now? The young man that was behind bars didn't care about nothing. When I go home tomorrow from jail, I'm be out here trapping again, selling drugs, carrying a gun, no matter what, because that's what I needed to do. This time I did my three and a half years. Something hit me like, oh, I'm not trying to come back here. Like, old head over six years old trying to walk. I mean, in jail, like, I'm like, no, I can't be in here. Like, something got to change. I'm saying something something about me got to change. Even my friends, where I be at, or the things I do. And I changed all three of them. Man, this is where I'm at now. To Now, I'm a taxpayer. I mean, I pay taxes now. I need them back. <laughs> I mean, I'm broke. But no, but... I work, homebody, I don't do nothing, I don't go out. I don't know, I'm born, I'm an old, everybody tell me I'm a born old man. So I guess that's what I am now. That's what I do, working, cleaning the house. You're mm-hmm. learning, like, what the new parameters are. You have to create new boundaries for yourself, find new ways of having fun, right? Right, right, right. Uh, and, and those ways will come mm-hmm. with time. And so what's your vision for your life, Dante? Right now, I'm focused on day at a time. That's how I've been making it so far. Each day I wake up and I handle, I tackle that day. I can't worry about because I get stressed out too fast. Like I get, like you don't understand, probably last three, like this month, last, this September was I was stressed out. The story came out. I didn't know it was going to take off the way it took off. Like all my old friends from school hit me up. People at my job were seeing it. It just, it just went through the roof and it's still going up. Like, like I said, right now I'm just worried about Trying to take it one day at a time. Worry about the future when they get here. Do you feel like you're healed from 22 years ago? I don't feel like I'm healed. I don't feel like I'm working on being healed. I'm still healing. Like I'm still grieving. I grieve every day. Can't nobody never say I think grieving is over for somebody who loses their mother or sister or anybody in that sense. Like That takes time or however long you want to deal with, with the grieving. I don't know how I do it, but I know I deal with it. and I mean, maybe because I'm a happy person 24-7. What do you think? Is it that optimism you think that is a difference maker for you that has helped you, you know, change yourself? I don't know. I can't even tell you what it is. I can't put my finger on it. I just, whatever it is, I'm happy for it. When you see me stressed out because I'm really going through something, like, I might got to move or I need money or this and but as far as that, like, I'm, I bid, play, joke all day. Like, from the time I wake up to the time I go to sleep at work. So maybe that's, that's what keeps me Keeps my mind off of it. What do you want people to know who may see this story? I want, you know, this story wasn't, when I put it out, wasn't from a pity party. My family is still being talked about after 20-some years. And I'm like, dang, it's time for me to let people know where I'm at. The message behind this is I'm the sign of hope, miracle baby, whatever you want to call it. Not just being abused, but whatever you go through, if you're going through a divorce, if you can't finish, if like school is too hard or, your boyfriend is treating you wrong, your girlfriend, something, whatever that you go through, no matter what, you can always make it out. Just you, you just got to be patient and just always say so every day it's going to get better. I think that's what it helped me. Every day I knew it was going to get better, no matter what. It was temptations to go grab some more drugs and go hustle and go grab a gun and go do something there. But I always back, I said, man, jail, 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 jail. I don't want to go to jail. Like, I need to stay home. Like, no matter Yes, I don't got the money now, but I'll be all right. I mean, I can make it to another day. You know what I'm saying? So just hope. Always have hope every day. And no matter what you do, just keep pushing. You know, I commend you for being willing to share your story because I'm sure 
listening to this, hearing it in your own words is going to touch somebody. So Dante Haley, thank you so much for coming and being on Flashpoint and talking about your important story. Next up, they provide refuge for those fleeing domestic violence. We never try to convince somebody to make a decision. A Montgomery County nonprofit's effort to break the silence. We'll be right back. When there's no closure to the mystery and the sorrow, Gone Cold is KYW News Radio's true crime podcast about unsolved cases in the Philadelphia area. Someone has to know. What happened? And who did this? We searched the wooded area. We searched dumpsters. Someone's life ended tonight. It's the most important thing you can investigate as a police officer. Who has the clue that unlocks the truth? Search for Gone Cold KYW in the Radio.com app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm Cherry Gregg. Be sure to check out the Flashpoint podcast by downloading the Radio.com app, Apple Podcast app, or other platforms. All you got to do is search Flashpoint KYW, and we here at KYW, we are all about community. October is National Domestic Violence Awareness Month, but one organization is focused on helping victims of domestic violence all year round. The Montgomery County Safe Haven offers a 24-hour hotline, supportive services, as well as dating violence and domestic violence prevention education. Here to tell us more about Laurel House is Executive Director Beth Sturman. Beth, welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you so much, Sherry. It's really a pleasure and an honor to be here. I appreciate it. Yeah, so for folks who have never heard of Laurel House, give us the breakdown. What's the mission? Sure. Laurel House is a comprehensive domestic violence agency. We're based in Montgomery County because of safety. Sometimes people come to us from surrounding counties for help, whether it's safe haven shelter help or some other kinds of supportive services. Sometimes we even get people from out of state or from other parts of the state if they're being stalked and they need to get as far away as possible. So we do all kinds of supportive services. Sometimes people need shelter or supportive housing. Sometimes people just need some counseling. They want to come in and talk with an advocate. We have an attorney on staff who can represent people for protection from abuse cases and for other kinds of basic legal representation. We're in six different locations throughout the county so that people don't have to travel too far to get to somewhere that can help them. And then we do a lot of prevention education, as you mentioned, in high schools, middle schools, and colleges. Wow. And so how, what have you seen? Are there any trends when it comes to domestic violence lately? Well, what we're hoping a trend is we're getting more phone calls on our hotline. We get a lot more people requesting to come in and see a counselor. All our counseling is free and confidential. And what we're seeing is that people seem to be reaching out for help more openly. We have a whole mission of helping people break the silence, get more comfortable talking about it so that they don't feel so isolated. And so we're seeing a lot more people reaching out for help, and we think that's a great sign. Do you think it's because people are more aware? I've heard repeatedly people say that I didn't even know I was being abused. Absolutely. And I think unless people are very physically abused, sometimes it's very hard to pinpoint that that's what that is, that that's domestic abuse. I do think there's a lot more work being done to try to help raise awareness in the community. And I think then that means that more and more people know that there's help available and they don't have to be so ashamed to reach out and ask for help and talk about it with people that they care about or with professionals that can help them. So, and what is abuse for folks who don't understand what it entails? If you're not being physically hit or you're not seeing that, but there's other forms. Right. So domestic violence or domestic abuse is between two related people uh, or two people in an intimate partner relationship. 
And it's power and control. It's one person attempting to exert control over the other. Sometimes it's financial. It's a lot of verbal abuse, a lot of trying to make the person feel like they're not worthy, that the things that they do are wrong. The abuser typically doesn't take the blame for things. They blame everything that's going wrong in the relationship on the victim. A lot of isolation. Typically, abusers try to hold the person basically captive. Sometimes it starts out looking like it's a good thing, like, oh, honey, can't we just stay home this weekend? You know, I don't want to be out with other people. I don't want to have to share you. And then gradually, the person's so isolated that they're really cut off from their support system. And then, of course, that often escalates into um, physical abuse that might start out with just a shove or a push or a hit. And then that can keep on escalating to something that's very, very dangerous physically. And so what are the steps if you realize you're involved or, or this might be an abusive relationship? How do you pull yourself out of it? Call our hotline. Get set up for a counseling appointment. As I said, our counseling is free and confidential. There are other domestic violence agencies throughout the region that if you're not near one of our six locations that can certainly also help you. And come in and see a counselor, see an advocate who's trained in domestic violence to see if that matches what you're experiencing and then to see if there's some help that might be available to you, even if you choose to stay in the situation, it's always great to have that extra support. Yeah, and at least map out the plan and know that if it gets to a certain level, you have a way out. And you mentioned the prevention education. We enjoy it. We love it. We have two community educators and a lot of volunteers who help with that program. We used to go into mainly high schools and colleges. Mm. Kids today are, are getting together earlier And so we're going into middle schools and sometimes even elementary schools where we're teaching much more basic friendship fundamentals, healthy relationships, how to help a friend if you're concerned about a friend. So really teaching kids how to negotiate things with each other in a way that's safe and and not abusive. Um, We in the media, we're starting to talk about it more. I see more stories about this issue and not just during Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Right. Right. And we really appreciate the focus that the media is more and more willing to help shed light on this problem and help raise awareness so that people know that they're not alone. Oftentimes victims feel like, oh, my gosh, I'm the only one. They're really embarrassed. They're really ashamed. They don't want to tell people that they're in this situation. Somehow they blame themselves. So the more that the media has been doing, which has been terrific, one of the great things about all the domestic violence agencies in the area, including ours, is that we work on an empowerment model. So we never try to convince somebody to make a decision that isn't right for them. We let people walk through and and sort out what's going to be the right choice for them. Yeah, when it's time for them. Um, And so you have an event coming up. We do have an event. We have several events coming up, but the next one coming up is really special to us. It's called our Breaking the Silence Luncheon. It's Wednesday, October 16th at 1130. It's at Overbrook Country Club And this year, the focus is on how the media addresses domestic violence. We have five great media panelists, including you. Yay! Yay. (laughs) We're really grateful that you uh, were willing and available to do that for us. And we're going to just have a panel discussion and and field some questions from the audience about domestic abuse. Wonderful. So I know you you guys have a whole calendar of events since this is a very important month. So this is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. We have all different kinds of events, which you can look at our website for. But as I said, the Breaking the Silence Luncheon on the 16th. And then we have a 5K dash and a one-mile walk up in Upper Gwinnett Township on Sunday morning, October 20th. And that's always a great event as well. www.laurel.com 
Dash-house.org. Click on events and you'll see all the different events coming up. Well, I want to say thank you so much for all the work that you guys do at Laurel House. Executive Director Beth Thurman, thank you for being on Flashpoint. Thanks so much. That's it for the Flashpoint Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this exclusive content. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Flashpoint Show. You can also follow me at Cherry Gregg. If there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar, let us know and we'll walk you through the flames. As former First Lady Abigail Adams once said, learning is not attained by chance. It must be sought for with ardor and attended to with diligence. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next week, thanks for listening.